Amen. Thank you, Nate, Courtney, Josh, Greg, Team Unveiled. Was that good this morning? Amen. Praise God. I don't know about you, but my heart is full singing those truths, being reminded of all that Christ has given us. And uh, yeah, I'm excited this morning. How about yourself? Who's happy to be here? Yeah. All right. Hopefully you're here, so you just won't be happy, right? Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Matt, and I'm excited to be speaking this morning, sharing, um, continuing our series, All in the Family. We've talked through growing pains, and now we're looking at family ties. These are all bad, I mean, great um, 80s sitcoms, themes, and we're just looking at what does God have for the family of God and also our individual families? What, what advice, what counsel does he have to make us strong? Is that something we should look at? Is that practical? Very practical. Amen? Amen. Well, I want to start out with a verse that Solomon wrote. You guys know King Solomon? He was the wisest man who ever lived. He also had a lot of trouble in his house. And this is, the, this is what he wrote probably later in his life. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over it in vain. Wow, what a, what a truth. Unless the Lord builds a house, its, its builders labor over it in vain. You know, I have this son. He's my oldest, Micah. He's actually in the back back here. He loves when I talk about him. Now he's turning around like, really, Dad? But uh, really proud of my son, Micah. Ever since he, God gave him to us, uh, we knew we had something special because this guy is a builder. When he was a little guy, he loved building with Legos. He would build massive towers. And uh, I was like, wow, this guy really loves to build. We bought him a Home Depot little workbench, and he spent hours just pounding with the hammer. And, and then we gave it to Josh, and he just walked away. <laughs> Kids are built different, right? And uh, so, so Micah, now he's building sheds for people. He's building, you know, picnic tables. He's just very gifted and creative in the way that he can build. And about two years ago, he got an internship with a uh, home builder, Morrison Homes. They're building new construction in West Roseville. If you ever go out there, you can see some of their work. But Micah landed an internship for the summer, and he would come home, and he would talk about working with the foundation guys, the ones who were building the foundation, you know, laying the, laying the groundwork, the plumbing, all the stuff that goes at the very bottom. And then later on, he would talk about framing and all that went with building up from, the, from that uh, point. And then he would talk about all the finish work and all the ways that pieces went together. And the end product was a beautiful home, something that could withstand the decades, hopefully, of, of weather and all the things that are trying to beat it down. And you know what? God has instructions for us that are very similar. He wants to build... He wants us to build homes that are going to withstand the test of time. You realize the first institution God founded on the earth was the home. In Genesis chapter 2, he talks about creating the home, man and woman. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He wanted us to have families. He wanted us to be fruitful in those families. But one of the 
the greatest things that we can understand is that the breakdown of the home is a sign of the end times. It's a sign that things are falling apart and that only God can come and restore them. And unfortunately, we see all around us in our nation right now the breakdown of the family unit, the breakdown of the home. And the church should be setting an example about renewing the home, about making sure that there is a witness in this world as to what can make a strong home and a strong family. If we're going to succeed in building strong families in our homes, in our church, in our broader communities, we certainly need God's help. Amen? Amen. Listen to the words of Jesus. He spoke these words in Luke chapter 6, verse 47 and 48. I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the floods came, the river crashed against the house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. So what instructions has God given us? What instructions has the architect, the engineer, the one who designed the family, what instructions does he want us to understand so that we can build strong families for him? That's the question we're going to be looking at this morning. That's the question that we want to answer and apply into our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for your instructions. I thank you that you're very clear, and God, you're, you're very wise. You are the creator of the family. You are the architect. You know how things should fit together. God, you've given us guidelines. You've given, given us instructions, God, for our benefit and for the benefits of our homes. God, as your followers, we want to honor you, not only in our individual lives, God, but in our family life. God, I pray that wherever we're at this morning, whatever the condition of our home, God, we will take what you have to share this morning, the guidelines and the instructions that you give us, and we will begin to apply those things into our situation, into our home. Let us set an example for the world to see how you can change families, how you can change the home. Let us do it for your glory. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. From prison, the Apostle Paul wrote a few letters. One of them is the book that we're going to look at this morning. It's the book of Colossians. And Paul was very concerned about the group of followers of Jesus Christ that were in Colossae because he knew that they had families. He knew that they were going to be struggling against the culture in which they lived to live out lives within their family units for his glory, for Jesus' glory. And so he wrote these words. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 3 starting at verse 12 through verse 24 this morning. Colossians 3, 12. Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of the Messiah 
to which you were also called in one body. Control your hearts. Be thankful. Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I believe that in these verses we get the foundation for the family. We get an understanding of what we should be building our families and our lives upon. The first thing that is described here, the first thing that we need to build upon, the first part of the foundation is his grace. The grace of God provides us the foundation that we need. Let me just say this. If you are not operating on the grace of God within your family and within your life, you are building on a foundation that's going to crumble. God has given us his grace so that we can have a sturdy foundation. Let's look a little deeper at this grace. His grace is revealed in the fact that we were chosen. Wow, what grace. We were chosen. We, were, we did not earn it. We didn't deserve it. We were chosen. We were the elect of God. Think about that. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says we were chosen by God in Christ before the foundations of the world. Man, I can't, that blows my mind. To think that God in all his foreknowledge saw my life, saw your life, and said I choose him, I choose her. It's a great mystery because sometimes we think, well, does that mean that he didn't choose some people? That he destined certain individuals to a eternal punishment? And we struggle with this idea of election. We almost feel guilty. It's like survival's guilt, right? People that have been rescued from wars. People that have been rescued from shipwrecks. They struggle with, why me? Why did I survive? Why am I still here? We don't always understand grace. We can appreciate it. The same Bible says this, that the elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the same Bible that says those words also says this, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So there's a personal responsibility that God has given all of us in this world. And from our perspective, we have a response back to God. And that response is simply whatever revelation we've received of God, we are to respond with a heart open to receive that revelation and seek God with all of our heart. The Bible says that if we seek him, we will find him, if we seek him with all of our heart. So yes, from God's perspective, he knew those that would respond to his revelation. He knew those that would be favorable to his love. And in that way, he locked those choices in place, and he elected us. And yes, that's exciting. That's grace. None of us deserve it. But God says he pours his rain on the, on the good and the evil. His grace is available to all. So anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're here and you're like, well, am I elected? Did God want me? Yes. The answer is yes. 
The Bible says this, his heart, God's heart, is that not anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance and a knowledge of the truth. That's his heart. And he's given us an opportunity. If you're here today, you're hearing about an opportunity to respond to God's grace. He wants you to know his grace that is revealed in Jesus Christ. We sung about it this morning. Jesus rescued us from our sin, from the fact that we disobeyed God's law, that we became people who were under his wrath, God's wrath, his holy wrath, because we had disobeyed him. But rather than pouring his wrath out on us, he instead allowed his son to take on his wrath on the cross. And that we could have his perfect holy record in place of our dirty, filthy rags. That's grace. That's what he's invited us to in Christ. We're set apart. Do you see that here? Holy, the Bible says. That's the second part of his grace. Just as a marriage ceremony sets apart a man and a woman for each other exclusively, so salvation sets the believer apart exclusively for Jesus Christ. Would it not be a horrible thing at the end of a wedding to see the groom run off with the maid of honor? It is just as horrible to contemplate the Christian living for the world after they've made a decision for Christ. We're set apart. We're holy. We're also loved. This is grace. We're the beloved of God. We are objects of God's love rather than his wrath because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We are loved. And finally, his grace is revealed in the fact that we're forgiven. He forgave us of all trespasses, Colossians 2, verse 13. God's forgiveness is complete, and it's final. It's not conditional. It's not partial. It's complete. It's for all of your sins, for all the past, and even for the future. God's forgiveness is mind-blowing. There's nothing you can do to separate yourself from that forgiveness once you're in Christ. Nothing, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. The day of redemption is the day that we experience in all its fullness, the fullness of his grace. We'll be in his presence. We'll be accepted into his presence. That's grace. None of us earn that. The Bible said that we are saved by grace, through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, lest any of us boast. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, he wants us to live our lives in such a way as to reveal the grace that he's poured into our hearts to a world around us that needs that grace in their life. That's what he wants from each one of us. Colossians 3, verse 13, it says this, accepting one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Think about the depths of God's love and forgiveness for you, for me. We need to take that forgiveness and be forgiving others around us. 
chosen by God, set apart by God, loved by God, forgiven by God, they all add up to grace. That's the first layer of foundation that he wants us to build our lives upon. If you haven't received that grace, you can't go any further this morning. You need to ask God, God, I I recognize I'm in need of your grace. I want to build my life on your grace. I receive your son as a gift into my heart. Come in, be my Lord, rule my life. I want to build upon that, your son and all his instructions for moving forward. Pray that this morning and you will be saved, the Bible says. You will be rescued. You will receive his grace. Greatest gift that you could ever have. Second foundation is found in in the gift of peace, his peace. Colossians 3, verse 15 says, And let the peace of the Messiah, to which you were also called in one body, control your hearts. We need to go back to John chapter 14. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples on the night in which he would be betrayed. In in John chapter 14, verse 26, we read these words. But the counselor, Jesus is sharing with his, his disciples. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Jesus is basically telling his disciples, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to provide my spirit, the Holy Spirit, to come in. And he's going to teach and remind you of all the things that I've instructed. And verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. Christ's peace is given to us through his Holy Spirit. We have nothing to fear. No matter what circumstances we face, his peace is our anchor. His peace is our foundation. The peace of the Messiah, the peace of Christ, needs to control our hearts. Listen to this. The word control came from the ancient Greek word. It was a sports term. Control meant to basically oversee an athletic competition. Today we call them referees. Today we call them umpires. Basically what's being said here is allow the peace of the Messiah to umpire over your heart. To referee the decisions of your heart. The Holy Spirit needs to be our umpire. When we obey the will of God, we have peace within. But when we step out of the will of God, even unintentionally, we lose his peace. The question we need to ask is, will this choice, whatever choice we're facing, will this choice bring peace in my home? That's how we discern the will of God. Think about it. How many choices do we face? whether it's with our words or with our actions or with our appetites, that can lose peace within the home. It happens all the time, does it not? We need to be thinking, allow God's peace through his Messiah, Jesus Christ, through his Holy Spirit that indwells us. Referee my heart in this next moment. Referee the choice that I make. Umpire over it so that you allow me to choose your peace in this moment. That's what God wants us to build our families around, his peace. 
The third thing that we need to build on is his word. His word. Let the, Messiah, let the message about the Messiah, verse 16, Colossians 3.16. Let the message about the Messiah, that's a fancy word, way to say, let the Bible, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In other words, being filled with the Spirit is being filled with God's word. Both are requisites. I think we lost the lights. That's right, Nate is running. Look at that speed. Second wind. Oh, he had, to, he had a pause halfway through. I saw that. He's going to make it to the switch. Everybody applaud. Yes. Okay, all right. Don't mind him. He's just helping out. The Word of God needs to be our foundation. Amen? Too often we listen to secular advice. Advice that has nothing to do with what God wants us to do. Advice that may sound good, but when we start applying it into our family, we reap destruction rather than blessings. We need to focus on what does God have to say about how I raise my children, about how I conduct myself as a husband or a wife, even as a grandparent, whatever your role might be. What does God have to say? Let the word be our foundation. Finally, his name. Listen to verse 17 of Colossians 3. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our greatest test should be this. Can whatever I do be in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Does it bring him glory? Does it bring him honor? Am I representing well? with the choices that I'm making in my home? Is Jesus glorified through my choices? So beyond our foundation, we gotta build on a foundation. It needs to be built on his grace. It needs to be built around his peace. It needs to be built on his word, and it needs to be built in his name, amen? amen. We need to go beyond that, though, because now we're starting to build the frame, right? What does the framework of building in our family look like? It's great to have the right foundation, but so often we lose sight of the fact that the building is not complete yet. The building is just in process. We need to be building with his materials, the materials that he's provided us to build on and to build with. Colossians talks about removing the grave clothes of sin. There's things that we lived with and operated with when we were living apart from Christ. And it says we should be taking off those old clothes and we should be putting on the clothes of grace. Remove the grave clothes, if you will, and put on the grace clothes of Jesus Christ. These are the materials in which we should build our homes and our lives. Number one, put on heartfelt compassion. Literally, this is empathy. This is the idea that we can step into someone else's shoes, feel their pain, identify with their struggles, 
and have a true heartfelt compassion. That's what Christ did. He left heaven. He came down to earth. He walked in our, in our bodies. He understood pain and sickness and disease, and, and he, he understood the world in a way that we as parents need to get into our own little children's minds sometimes and understand what they're going through, understand the struggles that they're facing, get down on their level, and recognize like we should have a compassion when we're operating in the family. What does my wife have to deal with? She's got to clean up after these five crazy kids and the other big kid, right? Start to identify with some of the struggles of the people in your home and have compassion for that. Care for that. Number two, put on kindness. Kindness is such a huge thing. You know, I, I thought about King David. King David had this, this young man named Mephibosheth. Try and say that name a few times. Mephibosheth. He was a, a part of Saul's household. He was actually a crippled young man. Uh, one of the... One of the uh, members of Saul's household. And the Bible tells us in, in 2 Samuel chapter 9 that David desired to show the kindness of God to this young man, Mephibosheth, because of his love for Saul's son, Jonathan. You know, Jonathan was, was killed, and, and Saul basically hunted down David most of his life. And so back then, if if you were part of a household that was against the king, death sentence once he became king. And yet David, rather than giving Mephibosheth a death sentence, instead he invited Mephibosheth to live in the palace as a member of his own family, to eat at the king's bountiful table. This is the kindness of God. You and I have experienced an even, even greater kindness in Christ. We are God's children. We shall live in his kingdom forever. The king has shown us kindness. We need to show others kindness as well. Thirdly, put on humility. Humility thinks of others before themselves. How often do we get into our own agenda? What's important to me? Raising good families means that you have to consider others. You have to consider the whole before you consider the part. We need to make decisions that are going to benefit others ahead of our own self and our self-interest. Number four, put on gentleness. This word is also known as meekness. And meekness is not weakness. It's power under control. Listen to how this word was used back then. It was used to describe a soothing wind, a healing medicine, and a colt that had been broken. In each instance, there is tremendous power, but that power was under control. That power was used in a way that was productive rather than destructive. That's this word, gentleness, meekness. Don't think for an instant that you aren't to be strong as a member in your household. That you aren't to have some sort of role that has power. God has given you that. But you're supposed to use it in a way that is productive, not destructive. Use your influence. Use your power in a way that brings healing and brings calm 
rather than craziness, rather than destruction. Number five, we need to put on patience. We need to build our lives with patience, long-suffering. This word is literally a long temper. That's opposed to a short temper. How many understand short temper? Yeah, I've had a short temper, right? What happens when you have a short trigger? You fly off the wall and you cause nothing but trouble in the home, right? We're all guilty of that at one time or another. God wants us to take his gift of long-temperedness, patience. When a person is long-suffering, he can put up with the provocation of others, the circumstances, without retaliating. It is good to be angry. This is a sign that you have the holy discontent of God. When you see things that are wrong, it's okay to get angry at those things. It's okay to be frustrated at those things. God is also angry at those things, and he's frustrated at those things. But what kind of response should you have? You should have a patient response. You should have a controlled response. It's wrong to get angry quickly at the wrong things and the wrong reasons. And too often in our families and in our lives, we're guilty of that. And I see all the time the fallout from anger that's been used in destructive ways within the home. People get hurt. Relationships get severed. There isn't peace in the home. And how sad that is if, if we're guilty as Christians for that being the case. There's enough of that in our world, trust me. But God's asked us to operate within his guidelines. And this is one of them, patience, long-suffering. Number six, put on accepting one another, Colossians 3.13. Another word for this is forbearance. Literally, the word means to hold up or to hold back. God is forbearing against sinners, is he not? Does he not hold back everything that they deserve? Did he not hold back what you deserve in your life? That's forbearance. That is the willingness to accept one another. If forbearance suggests not taking offense, how often do we quickly take offense, right? Forbearance says, you know what? Love covers a multitude of sins. I'm not going to get offended over that one comment. I'm going to give you some rope here. I'm, the way you just responded to me, son, I'm going to give you a little forbearance. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to just fly off the handle. Now, am I perfect in that? No way. I can't stand up here and say I'm a perfect dad. But I can say that I understand God's building block. And I'm committed to wanting to improve the building materials that I'm working with in my home. That's what he expects from us. Not perfection, but a commitment to say, God, you're right. You're the architect. You're the engineer. You're the designer. I want to follow your design. Forbearance suggests not taking offense. The seventh building block is forgiveness, and that's not holding onto the offense. See, living in community with other sinners means we're going to offend and we're going to be offended. That's just the reality. And anybody live with somebody that's perfect? Raise your hand. 
Wow, one person. Tessa, I didn't know. That's, that's massive points, Jason. Good work. Good work. Good work. No, I think, uh, I think we all can recognize that we don't live with perfection. We all offend, and we will all be offended at one time or another. And so the Bible tells us that even as Christ forgave us, so we must forgive others. How did Christ forgive you? He forgave us without cause. So should we. He forgave us freely. So should we. He forgave and he forgot. So should we. Wow. Forgot. Well, we don't really forget, Matt. What are you saying here? I'm not saying that we totally can forget, but I'm saying that that's how God forgave us. Do you remember? He says, I'm going to remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. I will remember it no more. That's God's example of forgiveness. The Bible says we are to forgive as Christ forgave us. So yes, we are to work to not keep a record of wrongs. We are to work to forget the sin and the offense of others and not throw it back in their face when we're angry. That brings strength and healing to a home. And finally, the Bible says we are to build with love. You know, this is the most important of all Christian virtues. It acts like a girdle. You guys, any men know what a girdle is? It's the thing that kind of keeps it all in, right? Keeps everything else in place because, you know, that thing's tight around your waist and it just binds it all together. That's what love is meant to do in the Christian experience. It's the thing that binds all these other traits together. If we're loving, let's put it this way, if we're loving we can't violate any of those other principles. Love first. It ties it all together. Love is the first in the list of the fruit of the Spirit. If you want to know more about love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 lists the traits of God's love. This is agape love. Remember what we talked about, agape? It's God's unconditional, totally committed love. That's the way we should operate in our homes with one another. Your family is not conditional. Your family is meant to be unconditional. No matter what has happened in the past, God wants you to connect with your family. He put you in that home for a reason. But you don't understand. You're right. I don't, but God does. And God wants you to work at reconciliation. God wants you to work at forgiveness. God wants you to work at making your home a better place. Even if it's only you setting the example sometimes. Are we ever find ourselves in that place where we're maybe the only one committed to these guidelines? God wants you to be committed to them. Set the example. Shine the light. You might come from a home that's not in Christ. God has a role for you to play to shine that light and show them the love and grace of Christ. And finally, we build on the foundation. We build with his material. Finally, we need to understand that we got to put it all together like he intends. we gotta, we got to build in such a way. Let me see how I actually put it. God has provided us clear instruction on how the pieces fit together. You know, I think about like a home, and it, imagine that you just started putting the pieces in randomly at the end. 
You're like, well, there's all these pieces. You know, how many have ever put together Lego sets? And there's all these pieces at the end. I'm like, I don't know where they go. I just start sticking them everywhere, right? <laughs> doesn't really look good. Doesn't operate like it was intended. It's a mess. You have to follow the, the design. I've even tried those Lego manuals that are like 40 pages long, step-by-step instructions. And I built this uh, plane one time, and it was the wings were on backwards by the end. I still couldn't figure it out. And then Micah grabbed it in like five seconds. He had, it, he had it together. So God wants us to put it together according to how he wants the pieces to fit together. He, remember, he's the designer. He's the architect. He's the authority. He understands how families should work. He built them. He created them. We need to follow his instructions. Here we find it in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 through 24 as we wrap up this morning. Wives, be submissive to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter towards them. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Verse 21, fathers, this word actually has been translated parents, so, so women in the home, don't think you're off the hook here. Fathers, mothers, parents, do not exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. Verse 22, slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Verse 23, whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord and not for men knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. You know, these can be challenging. Why are they challenging? Because they rub against our natural sinful condition. Right? Number one, wives are called to submissiveness. We all know that when Eve sinned, the Bible says that one of the things that she that came into her life was a desire to not have to deal with the man and be submissive to him anymore because he wasn't perfect anymore and the world was a mess and now she had within her spirit, I don't want to deal with that role anymore. I don't like that role. And ever since then, it's been kind of a snowballing mess. And if you go out in our world, what I just preached from the Word of God, not from Matt, but from the Word of God, is not popular. But God is the architect of the family, and he says that wives are to be submissive to their husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, submissiveness is not slavery. It's not subjugation. It comes from a military term that means to arrange under rank. God does everything decently and in order. This is not about, like, if you're a lieutenant or a private in the army, neither one of those people is worth more than the other. They're both equal. They both have the same value, so to speak, but they have different rank. And yes, the private must salute the lieutenant, right? And the lieutenant has responsibility over the private. There's rank, there's order. God made the same thing in the home. And he said that husbands are to be the head of the home. Wives are to submit to their husbands as is fitting in the Lord. What does that mean, as is fitting in the Lord? That means if your husband tells you to do something against what the Lord says, 
That's when you get to say, nope, and put your foot down. Nope, I'm going to obey God. You're not leading me for God. You are allowed to, as is fitting to the Lord, right? So husbands, we have a responsibility to not do things that aren't fitting in the Lord with our wives. Headship is not dictatorship. Headship is not lordship. It is loving leadership. It is exempt. We are to set an example for what it looks like to, to serve them like Christ would serve them. Husbands are called to sacrifice, number two. Wow. This is tough for guys. You know, because ever since the, the sin entered the world, it's like, I just want to live independent. All these other things are weighing me down, right? And God says, no, husbands, if you've chosen to get married, if you've put that ring on and that commitment, I do, until death do us part, guess what? You are called to sacrifice for your wife and for your family. You are to lay down your own interests, your own, you know, independence, and you are to make sure that you are doing the things to provide for that home, to care for that home, to provide security for that home. You are to sacrifice your life for the sake of others. That is what husbands are called to do. The Bible says that in Ephesians that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. What did, how did Christ love the church? He sacrificed everything. He laid down his life. That's a challenge for all of us who are husbands in the home. Number three, children are to call to obedience. This obedience pleases the Lord, the Bible says. Jesus even set the example. He obeyed his earthly parents, Joseph and his mother Mary, Luke 2.51. The child who does not learn to obey his parents is likely to grow up not obeying any authority. The breakdown in authority in our society reflects the breakdown of authority in the home. Children are called to obey their parents in everything. Again, there's an exception. If your parents ask you to do something that is not what God says to do, then you can start arguing with them. Okay, Noel? All right. Parents are to, called to encourage. This is the challenge back at us as parents. We're called to encourage the children in the home. The Bible says that we aren't supposed to provoke our children or exasperate our children. Cause them to be discouraged. You know, do as I say just because I told you. Without explanation. I'm not going to take the time to sit down with you and explain, this is why dad needs you to do this. Because God has this in mind for you, and I'm responsible for you in Christ, and I'm trying to guide you in this direction. Do you get that? I know you don't always agree with it, but do you understand it? That's the patient, loving instruction that be, should be coming from parents in the home. Not to just yell at them, send them to their room, and never talk to them. Or just whip out a belt and start whacking them, right, with no explanation and love that comes in, in connection with those things. We need to be disciplining in love. We need to be disciplining in a way that brings encouragement to follow God rather than rebellion. Amen? We need to be faithful in our homes 
as parents. And finally, everyone is called to serve the Lord. Whether you're a grandparent, a slave, uh, working for Walmart, well, that is slavery. Um, Whatever your situation is, the Bible says that whatever our situation is, we are called to be serving the Lord. We've gone over a lot today. We've talked a lot about some of the instructions for tying our families together so that we build strong families for Christ. And I just want to say this as as I close this morning, that let's take away something from this morning that we say, God, help me, and you fill in the blank. Help me build on your foundation. I'm really struggling with understanding what it means to be operating in grace, what it means to allow the the peace of God to umpire my heart in decision-making. Help me to, to, to apply that this week in my home. Wherever it is that you need to start, start there. It takes a lifetime to, to get to a point of applying all of this, right? You gotta start somewhere. Start wherever God has challenged you this morning. Start with taking that step to ask and pray to God, God, help me to build a stronger family for you and your glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for your instructions. Thank you, God, that you are the architect of family. God, when we do family your way, boy, it brings us great joy. God, but sometimes we have heartache in family. God, help us to understand, God, ways that we can begin to bring healing to those situations. Things that are within our responsibility, God, that we can do to bring healing to our home. God, we do these things so that you might be glorified in our home, so that, God, we might set an example for the world to see that when you come into the home, there's a difference. You change hearts and you change lives for your glory. You redeem us, God. You buy us back because you value us. Help us to value one another. And God, maybe we're here and we don't necessarily have a lot of stuff within our own family. God, help us to be contributing to the family of God. Help us to apply these things within our roles within the church family. God, because there's application both inside our immediate families as well as within our church family to all that we talked about this morning, all that we looked at. And God, I just pray that this morning we might not leave this place the same as when we came in, God, but we might be committed to building our families for you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.